This is the MG Car Club Podcast with Wayne Scott and Adam Sloman. On this week's episode, our tribute to Sir Sterling Moss, Cecil Kimber's birthday and a member story from Chris Callahan, remembering the early days of the MG Car Club at Silverstone. Plus, will Adam buy an MGF? The MG Car Club Podcast. So, episode three of the MG Car Club podcast. Welcome along and hiya, Adam. Hello, mate. How you doing? Good, good, good. Before we get on with anything else in the show today, we must clean up something very, very important. Uh, We spoke on the last podcast episode, episode two, about your coronavirus check. Do we have results are you still here? How do you feel? Is all okay? Yeah, um, I'm pleased to say that uh, the test was negative, thankfully. Um, yeah, it's a big, uh, big relief there. But uh, yeah, important to uh, stay safe and stay at home, which is what we're doing again tonight. Phew. Well, you brought it all home to us that this threat is real and it's happening to people we know, but we're very pleased that you are okay. And it has been a busy time actually for you away from mg car club work you've been busy in the garage fiddling about with your mgb haven't you yeah so the kids and i spent the day in the garage with the bgt uh i got them to strip the front grill off uh i've got a new badge plinth to go on uh, the car so uh, yeah it was uh, good for the kids so i wanted them wanted to give them something that they couldn't really go too far wrong with they're already little they're only seven and ten um but i want them to start feeling comfortable around the car because one day they're gonna have to look after it so uh, so yeah lily and james were, were really into um into getting on with that taking the grill off using nothing special just a phillips screwdriver and a and a couple of spanners and uh, yeah got out the the chrome polish and gave it a good shine and now I'm waiting for uh, those lovely folks at moss europe to send me a, a fresh grill badge uh, which i ordered today bizarrely um mgbs came with two different grill badges uh, a red and black one uh, with a black background and a red octagon or an all red one my b has the all red one which despite being a single color is two pounds more expensive than the two color option so uh, i don't understand that you think if it had two different paints on it would be more expensive but uh, i didn't cheap out i've stayed original so any purists out there terrified that i'm gonna put the wrong badge on my car can uh, can relax uh, put down the shotgun um and uh, yes yeah, so i'll be keeping the original badge on this as soon as that arrives i'll show the kids how to put the grill back on the car You've had a good tinker, which is excellent. And getting the family involved is brilliant. And I guess that's a good tip for anyone listening is to get the kids involved, get the grandkids involved, because that is basically how you and I started, wasn't it? Just getting involved with cars through the family. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I can still remember doing stuff on the on the B. Um, when I was a kid, I can remember my dad opening the bonnet and showing me how to check the dash pots and just do all random sort of silly little jobs just to make sure the car was at its best. I can remember him giving me a plug spanner, a plug socket and a, and a, set, of, a set of plugs to, to change the plugs. I can remember getting the leads the wrong way around um, in the wrong order and then the car running like an absolute sack of spanners. Um, but it's all good fun. And you, the thing is, you can't really go too far wrong um i wouldn't recommend letting the kids have a go at brakes or body work but uh, you know they gotta start somewhere 
Well, we talked to you, of course, just after the Easter break. We are recording this uh, a little a bit ahead of when it goes out uh, on the MG Car Club podcast feeds, which, by the way, you can subscribe to to receive these episodes automatically. Everything you need to find to do that is at mgpodcast.uk. Uh, but over Easter, I personally, Adam, were mourning the loss of the Land's End trial this year. I have done probably five Land's End trials now and oh it was really weird actually being at home this easter so actually i did get out my toy cars and take a photo (laughs) in the garden of a section ends board and kind of like a makeshift model trials section um but it was very weird for me this easter not taking part in the mcc lands end trial of course an event that was synonymous with mg in the very early days of the MG's founder, of course, Cecil Kimber, whose birthday it was on Sunday over the Easter weekend as well. Yeah, so it's it's a it's a funny time really because, um, like you say, the Lands End trial has been sort of so key to MG um, in its early days, and I know it's a really important event to you personally and to a lot of the guys who are involved with the MCC. So it's um, it's a real shame that this blooming virus is stopping so much going on that we all love and enjoy. Um, but yeah, no, it's um, it's funny to think that uh, I think it would have been Kimber's 132nd birthday. Um, I'd love to be able to pick his brains and see what he thinks about everything that's going on with MG now and to know that the brand that he created is still alive and kicking when so many of its contemporaries sadly aren't with us anymore. Absolutely. But uh, one thing that we do know about Cecil Kimber is he probably wouldn't have spent Easter tinkering in the garage because actually he wasn't really into cars much was he? He was more of a sailing and fishing kind of guy. He was very much a sort of a a proper outdoorsman Um, yeah the cars were, I mean he was very passionate about the cars that he created but he wasn't the kind of guy that you'd find picking up the spanners and having a play at home I don't think Mm. Of course, it all started with the Morris Garage's chummy uh, when he was working for William Morris, or Lord Nuffield, I should call him, um, from 1921. He was, of course, uh, manager of the Morris Garage's chain in Oxford, where it all began. And then after that all kicked off, um, MG for Morris Garages, we all know this story, but for those of you listening who don't, uh, that was sort of dubbed first time in 1924. And then later the Morris bit was dropped in favour of MG Supersports as the name. And it was about that time, of course, as well, when MG moved to their very own factory. 1929, they moved to Abingdon, which is, of course, where your office is now, Adam. I look out of my window and I can see uh, the factory admin block. And any time we get visitors to, to Kimber House, I always walk them down the side of the admin block, which today is a block of flats, um, very expensive flats, uh, being in Abingdon. And if you get to the far end of the block, you can look up and see the bay window that would have been Kimber's office. And there's a very famous photo of Kimber sat behind his desk. Um, and behind him, you can see the bay window that looked out across the factory grounds amazing it's nice to have all that history on your doorstep isn't it yeah definitely I mean, if anyone ever comes to abingdon they can also actually go and have a pint in cecil kimber's old house the uh, the boundary house pub in abingdon um was where kimber lived for a little while while he lived in abingdon um so yeah you can go and have a pint at cecil's if you fancy it and he was a northerner as well, wasn't he? He actually uh, came from, or certainly studied at Stockport Grammar, Manchester Technical Schools, I think it was as well. So he was from northern stock originally, I believe. Yeah, and I mean, the thing that always surprised me was that there was never an MG motorcycle. 
um, because Kimber was mad keen on motorbikes. He was originally a, a, a biker. Um, it was only he only moved to cars after he had an accident on a motorbike, and um, that sort of put him off bikes. But um, with his um, engineering ability, you just got to think about the kind of motorcycles that MG could have produced as well. Yeah, and especially when so many of the British manufacturers started that way, people like Triumph and Jaguar all started either making motorcycles or accessories for motorcycles. So, yeah, it was quite unique in that respect. Yeah, very much so, very much so. And, of course, he died under the weirdest circumstances. 1945, the war was coming to a close. You'd think that this would be the time when MG would start revitalising themselves and getting back on track again. Only they lost Cecil Kimber in the most weirdest of fashions. It was a train crash, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah, he was. Um, he, I believe he was the only fatality. A train slid back down the line, and the carriage that Kimber was in, I believe, uh, rolled over. Um, yeah, very, very sad. Um, and of course, he was no age when he passed away. Absolutely, late fifties, I think. Proof, if ever it was needed, that you should just drive your MG and forget about public transport. It's not as safe as they make out. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Very much so. <laughs> um, and also, of course, as I say, we talked to you a couple of weeks down the line from uh, recording this, but uh, we lost a legend over the Easter weekend as we bid farewell to the motorsport icon that was Sir Sterling Moss, who passed away age ninety after a long illness. I read the articles in the newspapers and, of course, on our website, mgcc.co.uk. And Lady Moss, his wife, said, uh, Sir Sterling died as he lived, looking wonderful. I think that was a fantastic uh, tribute to him. And he became part of motoring history when he, of course, broke the land speed records at Utah, didn't he? Yeah, I mean, MG was synonymous with, with speed records, um, but it was Sterling that really cemented that reputation. Um, it's it's the kind of thing that we look back now and we think it's an amazing achievement, but back then it was, it was monumental and it's something that really has never been repeated. So, I mean, I only had the opportunity to ever, to ever meet him once and it was a very brief meeting. But everyone who met him speaks so glowingly of him and so warmly of him, especially given what happened with his accident at Goodwood. You know, lesser men would not have would not have come back from that. To reach 90, given the fact that he had his main career during the 1950s, it's probably nothing short of a miracle, actually. As you say, he had that tremendous crash in 1962 at Goodwood, um, which left him in a coma for six months and partially paralysed. That ended his sort of career at the top level. He had a number of comebacks after that and, of course, uh, raced a number of tribute and historic races uh, for many years after that, but it was never really the same after that crash. But he must have seen so many of his friends and good friends, people like Mike Hawthorne, for example, pass away on the circuits at the time, mustn't he? Yeah, and you think, you know, you think about what, what state medical technology was in in the 60s. For him, again, for him to have been in a coma for that length of time um, and to then have spent, you know, so much longer with us, um, we're, we're very lucky that we had Sir Sterling around for as long as we did. Not forgetting, of course, this was a time in motorsport where you didn't just, as you do now, be a Formula One driver. You did it all, all the time. And they raced across so many different disciplines. Check out the stats, right? He won 212 of his 529 professional races. 16 of those were Grand Prix. 
but he is famously the only person never to win a Grand Prix championship that really should have won a Grand Prix championship. He was the first Brit to win the British Grand Prix, which before Silverstone was at Aintree, he beat Juan Manuel Fangio to that race. He became uh, a real friend and mentor to Moss as well. Um, But I think the story about Aintree, if you read the books and, and look into the detail of that, Moss always maintains that Fangio let him win. And of course, if you then look at how Moss uh, didn't win uh, the Formula One World Championship, it was because he actually, through great sportsmanship, went to see the stewards to complain about a decision they'd made about Mike Hawthorne. And the decision being reversed was the efforts of Sterling Moss, which then made Hawthorne the champion that year instead of Moss. And I guess I suppose the third reason was that he really was passionate about British cars and wasn't all that lucky with the reliability of some of the cars that he raced until, of course, in 1955, he went off and drove those magnificent Mercedes 300 SLs. So he really was the champion and the legend that could have had so much more if he wasn't such a nice guy, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And it says it says a lot about where sportsmanship was at at that time. It's very hard to imagine some of the drivers at the top of the sport today taking that same sort of standpoint. Absolutely. Well, Sir Sterling Moss, it was a privilege to have interviewed you as I have done on many occasions. It was also a privilege, of course, to have him as an honorary member of the MG Car Club. And we say goodbye to a legend. Moss is fighting to make up the lost miles. He's already left world champion Fangio behind. And now it's Pera's turn for bad luck. Touch trouble puts him out of the race. And almost at the same time, Hawthorne has a puncture. With his two chief opponents out of the way, Moss leaves the field behind and wins. The crowd's mad with delight, for it's the first time in 34 years that a British car's won a major Grand Prix. Nice work, Sterling. The MG Car Club Podcast. The MG Car Club, the mark of friendship. To take advantage of our many membership benefits, access to our centers and registers, and to receive your copy of Safety Fast magazine, join us now at mgcc.go.uk. Memories from Kimber House with Adam Sloman. One of the cool things about Kimber House is that every MG built in Abingdon between 1929 and 1980 drove past our front door. Every MG built at the factory was set out on a test route around local roads, and you can still drive those test routes today. Two guys from the factory would jump in each car and head out on a small local route that took around 20 minutes to complete. One person would drive the car, while the other would make notes on any issues. Once back at the factory, rectification work would be carried out before the car was shipped off. You can come to Kimber House and collect a leaflet that will show you how to drive those original factory test routes. Sharing your passion for MG. This is Member Stories on the MG Car Club Podcast. Next on the MG Car Club Podcast, we have another one of our member stories. And for this one, we go to, well, Oxford, actually, just down the road from the MG Car Club in Abingdon. And uh, we're talking to Chris Callahan. Hi, Chris. Hello there. How are you doing? Very well, thanks, Chris. Now, I understand you've been busy filing to keep yourself occupied during lockdown. Yep, filing and making bits and pieces for steam engines. It sounds like an idyllic life you're leading down there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, trains trains and steam engines. (laughs) Sounds perfect Um, to me. And, of course, MGs. 
Let's talk about your MGs, Chris, because well, you've got a very, very nice collection there, haven't you? Tell us about the two MGs from two different eras. Well, I've got uh, 1952 MGYB and I've got uh, a white MGF. Two very different MGs, but two, two great very cars. MD MGs, which are used for different things. The MGF gets used to go on sort of generally longer weekend runs. Having said that, we are due to take the uh, Y-Type hopefully to Wales in September. How do you find the Y-Type on long journeys, Chris? Is it still usable? It's very usable because um, I've modified it. It runs on radial tyres. Um, it's got a five-speed gearbox. So that drops the revs down. So like when I took the car to Aviemore, um it was just a, a pleasant pleasant drive albeit to two to two nights three days that was for the international in scotland drove around scotland and then it came home again just over two thousand miles in a 10-day period and uh yeah very very usable and of course your history with mgs chris goes back well to childhood really doesn't it it does you know sort of um one of my first earliest memories uh Mike Allen, who was a test driver, bringing round uh, one of the early MGBs. I was actually uh, in bed sick, and he got permission to bring an MGB round so I could actually see what one looked like. And uh, so that's my earliest memory of MGs. And then uh, about a year later, I saw some cars that were stored in Ox Street in Abingdon, uh, in the lay-by there. And uh, they were going to Fort Worth in Texas. And as a logical thinking five-year-old, I thought, this is really cool that the U.S. Cavalry are going to be chasing the Red Indians in MGBs. Sparked um, your childhood imagination. Were you always aware when you were growing up around the, that area that MG was one of the main employers and was kind of like a fabric of local life then? Was that apparent to you then? very apparent from an early age. I had the choice of going either to Harwell or getting an apprenticeship at MGs. And I chose Harwell purely because we didn't have any family at Harwell, whereas we had quite a bit of family in Abingdon at the factory. And of course, for those uh, listeners from uh, outside of Oxfordshire, Harwell being, of course, the nuclear plant. So uh, that was what you, you were working in. Nuclear physics, was it? Nuclear physics, plasma physicist working lately on the jet project at Cullen, the nuclear fusion research pro project. Amazing. Well, it just proves that there are a huge number of different professions and different people who are in the uh, MG car club scene. Yeah, I'm a frustrated engineer. <laughs> and you mentioned your, your family there working at MG. There is a, a brilliant story related to your family. During the war period... Um, MG Factory was producing uh, tiller-driven Taurus tanks. They were little three uh, track-wheeled, three-manned vehicles. Uh, early one morning, about half past seven, uh, half a dozen or so of them were uh, being led out of the factory down Cemetery Road, and the driver pulled the tiller the wrong way, and it crashed into my uh, Granny Hyde's house. And she thought 
she'd never seen the sea and uh, she thought the Germans had arrived. As far as she was concerned, French Canadians with an accent were Germans. So she got a bedpan and she promptly knocked out the young lieutenant that had come to apologise. She then started to attack the second driver. It was only when the chap on the brain gun pointed at her that she actually stopped. Um, this was quickly followed by Pop Proper, who was the general manager at the factory at the time, appearing and sort of saying, no, they're on our side. And um, the, the tank was, they put some jacks in, the tank was removed, and the Americans came to repair the house that day and the following day. And up until recently, you could actually see the, the repairs but the people who have now owned the house have built an extension on the side, which has covered it all up. But, um, yeah, as far as the Americans were concerned, if the rest of the country was like this lady, there's no way the Germans were going to win the Second World War. <laughs> Made of stern stuff in those days, but uh, a brilliant really, story. Really. A brilliant story of... Uh, uh, the area, of course, around uh, Kimber House, which is, of course, where the MG Car Club are now based. And uh, yeah. I must talk to you a little bit about Silverstone as well, Chris, because you were there in the very early days. Of course, uh, MG were instrumental in Silverstone raising the money back in the day to purchase the airfield, which now hosts the race circuit that we know and love at Silverstone. And you were there in those very early days, weren't you? Yeah, I first went to Silverstone MG um, in 1967. And, again, there was a coach load left the social club and made their way to Silverstone. But it wasn't quite as simple as that. We had to be there for half past eight, and everybody had to cook breakfast, along with pints of beer. The coach, we left at 10 o'clock to get on the coach, and the obligatory sort of cases of uh, beer was sort of shoveled into the side. We then get to the Green Man, just outside Silverstone Village, and we stop for drinks. Now, I find this somewhat frustrating because I want to go and see the cars. And uh, eventually we turn up at Silverstone, and we're parked up by what is now the British Racing Drivers Club. And... Uh, We'd, we'd, we'd arrived just as the lunch break stopped and um, watched the racing in the afternoon. Of course, in those days, it was just a one-day event. And then, um, as the years went by, it became two-day. And then there was a, a period where it was three days. Now it's back to the old two-day format. I get the same thrill now as a 60-year-old as I did as a six-year-old. I find it absolutely sort of it's, it's the highlight of my year. Well, it must have changed heck of a lot since 1967. I'm guessing it still had a kind of airfield feel about it back then. I have a picture. In those days, um, you had like horse racing fences rather than catch fences and Arnco. And there's a picture of me sat on a bale of hay with uh, underneath one of the white horse, horse fences. And... Uh, there's a car going by, which is obviously a T-type, but uh, because of the shot, you can't tell if it's a, 
a T a T C or a T A. But uh, the the racing was probably, in my opinion, at its best in the eighties mm. when you had you know sort of the BCVA challenge. You know the late Barry Sideway Smith was quite spectacular. The Triple M cars were all gleaming by this time, and it was it was it was a good event. Mm. You know, I walk around with my dad and granddad and say. Oh, look at that, TD Mark II, 1500. And then promptly get a sort of uh, tap on the back of the head for being sort of a smart ass. <laughs> but I, know, I knew all the models of MGs, but I never actually sat down and studied them. <laughs> I just know, yeah, that's a J2, that's a P-type, you know, that's a TA, that's a TB. And, uh, you know, different differences in the cars of course when I first went to Silverstone the MGAs were relatively new car the team that put Silverstone on are obviously doing an excellent job they don't get much praise for it so I'd like to thank them for giving me so much pleasure over the years well that's lovely Chris and I'm sure they'll be listening and uh, will be touched to hear you say that actually from someone who has been traveling to mg racing at silverstone for so many years of course sadly this year uh, we have had to postpone the event due to the current uh, crisis but uh, hopefully that event mg live of course will be back and uh, kicking again in 2021 or perhaps even another date later on this year uh, chris it's been fantastic listening to some of your stories uh, to sum up then obviously you grew up with mgs as part of your local area and as part of your everyday life but for you when you look at the huge amount of passion that is around the world for the mg brand what do you think is the special magic about mg for you partially the cars but it's more the people i don't care if someone's got the newest mg1 or an 1880 they are passionate about their car and um, the vast majority are willing to share their car experiences with you and that's what I like mainly about the car club. It's definitely the mark of friendship. The MG Car Club Podcast. Safety Fast, the magazine of the MG Car Club. Get your copy now by joining us at mgcc.co.uk. Well, a huge thanks to Chris Callahan there for coming on the MG Car Club podcast and sharing some of his incredible stories from back in the day and from growing up around the MG factory as it used to be in Abingdon. Now, though, our very own Adam has been, well, getting a bit of fame for himself, actually, because, uh, Adam, you've been on TV. What's that been all about? Yeah, I was asked to be a panellist on a programme called Automotion, which is on Republic TV, which is an Indian TV channel. Um, so I was on there with uh, Rajiv Chaba and Gaurav Gupta, uh, who both work for MG Motor India. They're the um, the two top guys at MG Motor India. And I was on there with uh, Madame Mohan as well, who organises the 21 Gun Salute, which is the premier concourse in, um, in India. And yeah, it was really good. We talked about the history of MG, we talked about the innovations we talked about uh, the milli miglia and things that mg had done in the past while sort of referencing what mg are doing in india because they've really come from nowhere in india with um with their recent uh, launch so yeah it was it was good it was interesting it was um somewhat surreal doing television um from a utility room uh, but no, it was good fun 
You're like the Laura Koonsberg of MG now. Do you know that? (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got quite as much hair. Well, that's amazing. It just goes to show what a fantastic relationship MG Car Club have with MG, not just in China, not just here in the UK, but around the world. Fantastic that you were there talking about the brand on Indian TV. And even more fantastic that Indian TV is interesting enough to feature MG on the show. Yeah, I mean, it was great. They They are, I mean, the Indians are very passionate about British culture and that sort of shared heritage we have um, goes a long way to, to building those bridges. But I mean, MG Motor have done an amazing job since they've launched. They've they've they spent a whole year in the run up to the launch of their first car, the MG Hector, basically explaining to the market what MG was, what MG had achieved, and really what MG meant to 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 us. Um, enthusiasts um they're launching an mg car club india soon so yeah there's about four or five hundred classic mgs in india which i first went out there in 2017 and i was really sort of taken aback to see as many different um actually no i first went out there in 2018 and i was really taken aback to see so many classic mgs i got the opportunity to drive uh, a left-hand drive mgtd around delhi for the day which was as much enjoyable as it was terrifying with tuk-tuks and buses and all sorts coming at you in this little tiny car um but no it was great fun and those guys are like i said so passionate about mg it's um it's really exciting Brilliant. And sticking on MG News, there was sight of what we thought was coming but weren't sure, uh, a facelifted MG6 launched in China this week. Yeah, so some images have leaked of the facelifted 6, which is not a car we currently get in the UK. Um, but again, it's um, it just goes to show that MG are constantly developing new models and, and facelifting current models um, in a manner that really isn't something that was common in MG's past. We talked to uh, Daniel Gregorius from MG Motor UK, who is joining us on this very podcast next week. That MG6 is not coming to the UK, but I did manage to talk to Daniel about the new MG ZS EV, which we're quite excited about here as well. So that is coming up in uh, next week's episode of the MG Car Club podcast. And uh, you have also been toying with the idea of adding something to your fleet, I know, haven't you? Yeah, well, I've, I've speaking of the MG6, I've just sold my MG6 diesel, um, which leaves us with just two MGs in the household, my 73B GT. Um, um, it's not really my car, it's actually my wife's car. She's got a 2016 GS. And this was the MG6, of course, that was available in the UK that is now not available in the UK, just to clear that one up. Yeah, this was a this was a Mark II MG6 diesel. Um, so I sold my 6 diesel um, shortly before we all went into, into lockdown. And yeah, I don't think two MGs is really enough. Um, I, I've been toying with the idea of, of an MGF. Hmm. Well, what what would you go for? Like the Chinese TF or an early one, or what do you think? I'd probably go for an early F. For me personally, I think the the F is prettier than the TF. Um, I had uh, a VVCF uh, about five or six years ago in Volcano Orange and I just absolutely loved it I must have a thing about orange MGs um, because Sarah's GS is orange as well so um, yeah I loved I loved my F and Lily was a lot younger at the time so Lily and I would go out in it with the roof down blast over to Lyme Regis for some ice cream and she thought she was it in that car she thought she was Lady Muck 
And when I sold that car, she actually cried and made me promise that I would replace it, which so far I haven't. So I think maybe another MGF might be on the cards in the future. Well, the thing about the Mark One MGF, those early models, is, and I know this is why you want one, Adam, they've got the rounder, larger, what I call puppy dog eyes headlights, haven't they? Yeah, definitely. I just think it's a bit of a friendlier face. I mean, I love the TF. The TF's a great car. Um, but I just think the F is just that little bit prettier. So, yeah, I, I, I think an, an F, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not expensive. They're probably the cheapest they're ever going to get. Um, they're easy to work on. You can get all the bits. Um, you know, they are criminally underrated. Um, in my opinion, they're every bit as good as an MX-5. So, but, uh, but normally half the price. So if I can find the right MGF out there, I might be able to persuade Sarah um, that it should be a good good idea for us to get one. MG Live, I understand that the update is there's no update at the moment. Bring us up to date. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pretty pretty much that that's it at the moment. We're still working very closely with Silverstone to try and find another date. Obviously, there's a lot of dates being shuffled around in the calendar, things like Formula One, touring cars. Um, so at the moment, we're still talking to Silverstone and we remain hopeful that we'll be able to give everyone an update soon. Great stuff. And the photo contest continues to rumble on on the uh, website. You can access it via the photo contest link uh, at mgpodcast.uk. And literally, Adam, we have had hundreds and hundreds of entries, and most of them are up there for you to have a look at at mgpodcast.uk. And there's some amazing pictures coming in from all sorts of different eras of MG. They're brilliant, aren't they? Yeah, it's been really, really good. The, like you say, the variety has just been awesome. That's, I mean, that's the exciting thing about the car club is that we do cover so many different cars and to see them all come together through the competition has just been awesome. So click mgpodcast.uk, visit the website there. You'll see it on the menu bar along the top. Uh, click photo contest and uh, have a look at the entries that are already in as part of our virtual show. You can just peruse them wander through imagine you're at a show uh, read a little bit about the people who have submitted those photographs and if you look on the top right of that page you'll see the little button that says enter now and you can send us your pictures as well so that's all online at mgpodcast.uk well until next week when we'll be talking to daniel gregorius of mg motor uk from me wayne scott cheerio and uh, see you adam see you soon guys take care Subscribe to receive new episodes of the MG Car Club podcast at mgpodcast.uk.